Hey there, Normal Cast listeners. Have you ever wondered how that bedraggled, sallow, hunched over dude you see crawling from his tent every morning manages to magically send 514 by day's end and look like a stud doing it? Well, first of all, he doesn't have a real job. But second, he uses artificial stimulants, aka caffeine. Now, I can't guarantee that drinking defiant bean coffee will turn you into a 514 climber or make you more attractive. But it will make you feel better about the fact that you're probably never going to climb 514. And thrusting a steamy cup of defiant bean in your tent mate's hand early in the morning will shroud you in a rosy glow. Oh, you're such a good friend. I wish my boyfriend did stuff like this for me, but he doesn't even like to climb. Hmm. So if you want to fill every day with limitless possibilities, at least in your mind, then head over to defiantbean.com and order some fresh roasted, responsibly sourced coffee beans from friend of the show and climber Jeff Hollenbaugh. When you enter Enormo at checkout, you get a discount and the Enormo cast gets a couple bucks too. So once again, that's defiantbean.com, entry Normo at checkout. We gotta get Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing in set? Are you playing here? We're doing the, uh, the Normo dome, whatever it is. It's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, the big place. That's, it out. that's a big nice. place. You sold it out. I really should. The hell are you doing? I couldn't sleep. I'm checking the ropes. There was a frayed end on your rope, and I'm cutting it out. Hey, listen up. Today's show is also brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment, Maxim Ropes, and the law firm of Atkins and Markoff. For inquiries about help with the long arm of the law, email climbinglawyer at gmail.com. All right, let's crank it back up. Hello and welcome to the Normal Cast. This is your host, Chris Kaluse. It is August 5th, about 10.30 Mountain Standard Time, and this is episode 40 of the Normal Cast. On today's show, a conversation with alpinist and PhD, mind you, mind you, Doug Shepard. Doug is uh, an alpinist and just a pretty smart guy that has a lot to say about that lifestyle about that philosophy. So we had a really great conversation. We'll find out about him in a little bit. But before we get to that, I do want to point out that there are sponsors to this show. And the truth is, is that the industry, as it were, doesn't exactly know what to do with a podcast like this, where, you know, I swear and we drink and kind of goof around in the mic and don't edit very much. And it's pretty raw. And Frankly, it's not easy for them to quantify what it's worth to be a part of the Enormal Cast. So the truth be told is that these individuals or individuals at these companies have decided to uh, support this thing, even though maybe it doesn't fit into exactly what their marketing models are. So it's pretty cool that they are throwing a little bit of support here just on faith. And hopefully that faith will get a little bit of return from you guys. So. Black Diamond's on board. Maxim Ropes is on board. Of course, 
Our friend Jeff at Defiant Bean is still on board, our charter sponsor. I guess the strangest one might be Dan Markoff over at Atkins and Markoff. Dan's a lawyer, a fan, a climber, and uh, thought he'd give it a try advertising on our show. So remember, if you do need some sort of lawyering activity, if you've gotten yourself into some sort of strange bind that only a lawyer can help you with, it happens. Even to us climbers that avoid real life like the plague, give uh, Dan a shout at climbinglawyer at gmail.com. He might be able to help you out or he might be able to get you to somebody that can help you out. So I was just at the outdoor retailer trade show, which is why I'm talking about this, because I was up there spraying everybody down about the normal cast. And the cool thing is I got a bunch of interviews under my belt which makes me a little bit ahead, which hopefully means I can make some other changes and improvements over here at the show. So hopefully you'll see a new and improved normal cast, at least a little more streamlined coming up in the next couple months. Remember that if you have suggestions for the show, I do not blow them off. I don't always remember to return your emails. I try to, but if I do miss them, please do not be upset. Um, They pile up sometimes. And then I forget about them. But what are you going to do? Email me back again. It's nothing personal. At chris at enormacast.com. Also remember to visit the website enormacast.com. Click on the help out tab. Because there are many ways you can help out with this show. The deal is, is that my goal of 50 isn't too far off at this point. That's what I decided to do when I started it. That I would do 50 of these things regardless of what happened regardless of the sponsors or the donations or any of the other support. Although I don't think I would have made it that far without your support this far, but I'm only 10 away. We're almost there. That's just a couple few months. And in fact, I've got many of those in the bag already. So just keep it in mind. If we want to keep this thing going, I got to hear from you guys and I got to know that people are out there and still psyched and still keeping the faith and still want more Enormacast. If you feel like sending me an email, or if you feel like donating a little bit of money, or if you feel like writing a review on iTunes, all those things keep the stoke going pretty good. All right. I haven't made that appeal in a while. I don't like to make it on every single show, but there you have it. Okay. Doug Shepard. Um, hell, let's just do it. Here's a conversation with alpinist, mammoth, team climber, PhD in physics, Married man, full-time academic, and all-around nice guy, Doug Shepard. But I think, like a lot of climb, or a lot of runners, he's got sort of this little kind of rain man-ish bent to him about it. You know, like <laughs> that's my experience so far. Because I've been doing, a, I've actually like. So I had toe surgery a year ago, and I've been having a hard time getting in rock shoes. Uh-huh. So I've more and more started running because the running's getting the flexibility back. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I've started delving into that ultra world because it seems to sort of have the same sort of not suffering but long day mentality that alpinism has. Right. And I've been loving it, but man, those guys—they're so much faster than me. Uh-huh. And, like, it's amazing to me. Like, they take so little water and they just like hammer these mountain courses out. And they're done in six hours and then they're drinking like crazy. And I'm like stumbling at the end and just like, what just happened to me? Like, I mean, these things are like maybe 30 miles, right? right. And it's just unreal how hard it is. 
At least I think so. I don't know. The race that you did with Jeremy, how long was that? That's a uh, well. I don't. He did the fifty k. Yeah, he so did the fifty. So yeah. it's thirty two. It was actually it was a mile long this year because mm-hmm. I helped mark the course because it it runs out of my backyard basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was thirty three miles this year. Okay. So, so it was a mile longer than last year. Uh huh. And that's put on a, by a group of locals in Los Alamos. And right. It's this sweet, like, just we have this amazing hilly terrain right in town. It's the best place I've lived for trail running by far. Uh-huh. It's so cool. Uh huh. So yeah. But I'm going to have – now I'm moving. <laughs> right. So I'm going to have to get used to the Denver life again. Like the neighborhood we're moving to in Denver is bigger than the town I live in right now. Right. So it's going to be a little bit of a trip. Yeah. So That's, you know, I don't know. How do you feel about it? Uh, so I'm excited for the work. I'm not that psyched about the people. Yeah. Like that's the deal. And, and my wife – for my wife, it's a really good deal for her work. Okay. And she grew up in Denver and her family's there. Right. And like – our nieces and nephews are there. Our godkids are there. And right. so it's like we're You're, kind of walking back into a life we left a few years ago. Yeah, so she, it's I a think, compromise, sure. Yeah. yeah. So I'm excited about that part of it. Yeah, Denver, though. I mean, especially getting in and out of the mountains, man. No, it's, you know, everyone says it's easy, but it's not. No, it's not and at it's, all. It's sort of soul-crushing to have this prospect of the 70 drive. And, and you know, I like since I'm a park aficionado, like, mm-hmm. that's, I hate, I was there for, vac- I was seeing some friends and just like, one day of driving that road again. Right. I could feel the road rage swelling from like the moms and minivans. Right. It's just like, Oh, I cannot believe I'm coming back to this. Like, you know, cause right now we drive 10 minutes to the ski hill, 15 minutes to the crag. Sure. I run out my back door. Sure. There's nobody there. It's so awesome. So I don't know. It's kind of a bummer that way. Oh, well, good. Um, I'm sitting with Doug Shepard, who is an alpinist. Uh, you're on the Mammut team. Yep. Yeah. Um, and also, we uh, we have a bunch of mutual friends. We do, and yeah. we've been we've been talking about doing this for a while. So it's good that we finally caught up with each other and sat down. Even though you will be in Denver, but yeah. your new life in Denver sounds like at least initially isn't going to afford you. Yeah, I think it's uh, pretty a lot busy of leisure for a time. There. Yeah. And what so, What are you What are you walking so into? Or you are you are officially? I've officially started, but I haven't. So my wife moved up in Denver, so I'm now homeless, living out of my car in New Mexico, or uh-huh. crashing a friend's house here. And I'll start as a professor of physics in a couple of weeks here at the University of Colorado in Denver. So, nice. Yeah. So it's a pretty big life change. Of you know, I've been not had a lot of responsibility up until now, and so uh-huh. this is going to be interesting. So there's so. like when, when I kind of started thinking about you as an alpinist and this professor there's like there is actually like this great legacy in in kind of the old himalayan alpinists of these yeah. guys like they weren't just dirtbags you know they were they were professors and lawyers and like you know pretty high up educated kind of, kind of dudes even all the way through the last couple centuries oh really. I, i'd say for sure i mean like one of the heroes i have is pat callis in montana I don't know if you've ever heard of him but he was part of the dirty socks club and like he, you know, early sense of big Canadian mountains going over these places. He's still a professor of chemistry mm-hmm. in Montana. Like I see him at conferences and we talk about climbing, but sure. it's like, it's sort of this secret handshake, you know, of like we're among our science peers, right. but it's like, I know where you've been lately, you uh-huh. know, and I got to climb with him a little bit in Bozeman one time and it was just so cool. Cause he's, I can't remember exactly how old he is, but he was just like crushing the steepest ice. He walked right up to it. He was like, I want to climb that today. Mm-hmm. Just like got right after it. And there's videos of him like using the old wool mitt and the mountaineering axes to like put up you know the hardest ice routes of the day in montana and so it's there's definitely like a really strong legacy of 
really smart people doing really dumb things. And so <laughs> I've always kind of wondered about uh, people talk to me about this yeah. a lot of like, you seem like you know what you're doing right. and then you've got your together. Like, why are you going alpine climbing? And I just really enjoy it. Like, right. I don't know, but there's definitely a really, I'm sort of, and there's Slovensky in Canada. I mean, sure. I was thinking of him physics, while we were right? mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he's absolute crusher and, you know, and like done so many, and he's a, but he's a really good all around climber too. Like sure. he's not just an alpinist and, so there's definitely a lot of people like that. And so it's encouraging for me because it means there's sort of, you know, there is a viability to this pathway. Because I was really worried when I left sort of the dirtbag life and went back to school that I was going to lose climbing. But I'd say I've actually, if anything, has gotten better. You well, know, I mean, time. I can, I can, uh, having talked to a lot of people about this sort of thing, it's like, I mean, you can give it up or like it, it goes into the back seat. But a lot of, a lot of friends that have, uh, positions in life where their climbing time has, has been compromised a bit. They talk about how just more amped they are and they don't waste it and they get up and they get after it every single time they have a moment to oh, climb. Absolutely. And that's like, you know, I've really started to learn from some friends of mine, like my good friend, John free. I've done a bunch of climbing with like we we've gotten the weather watching down in Alaska. So I can like catch a red eye on Thursday, pull a big route off in three days and fly back mm-hmm. and be at work on Monday. It's so, like, I've done that three times now. Mm-hmm. No, it's cool. Actually, so, uh, um, Aaron Mulkey, who I think you're, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. There's, did you, I don't know. There's a picture of us cuddling from OR this yeah, time. It's exactly. not good, man. <laughs> I was not happy when Sam posted that. And I was yeah. like, Oh, great. Yeah. You're bros with Aaron. And, uh, you know, he's, he's a, he's a nice looking guy. I wouldn't be embarrassed. Oh, and he shaves that. his chest too. I don't know if you noticed that, but it's so smooth. So it doesn't right. feel so awkward when you put your arm oh, around him. So. Yeah. Right. You can, in those big packs, you can oh, almost yeah. imagine. Oh, right? it's, it's, yeah. it's close. It gets you a little closer. It's better. Yeah, than he was talking dude. about the same thing of like dropping, I think on Huntington. Yeah. Yeah. And, I called him up like yeah. three days before I was like, weather looks good. You know, you've been talking about doing this. Now's the time. Let's commit and go. And right. we had a blast, man. I think it was, you know, it's hard cause I have a huge comfort level with that. And that was his first time up there so okay. i think i sort of threw him to the wolves a little bit in uh-huh. terms of like, well i think that was payback though it sounds like well he's yeah he's for throwing people to the wolves yeah so. i mean i'm sort of one of the few people that's continued <laughs> to climb with him on those things you know and so like i'm you know for a long period there in grad school i was rallying up to climb with him like every other weekend i was driving to cody and like mm-hmm. getting someone else to drive and doing homework in the car or, like you know writing stuff up and like just to go up there because it's you know, there's not really good ice climbing on the front range. There's really good sort of alpine mixed climbing, like in mm-hmm. Rocky Mountain and other places. But Cody is, you know, actually good ice climbing and a lot of stuff left to be done. And the mixed climbing is really sort of not tapped. And so I've been having a blast up there with him. That's going to be one of the good things about coming back to Colorado is getting to get back up there. And I was trying to finish some projects. Closer off to Wyoming. Yeah. yeah. So... So what did you guys end up? I didn't really talk to Aaron too much about it. What did you guys do up there? So, you so we dropped in for like 24 hours. Yeah, a little bit longer than that. <laughs> um, so so we, we got in the glacier on like a Friday afternoon, mm-hmm. and we immediately left the tent and started up the Colton Leach, which mm-hmm. is a really classy alpine route. It's not, I would never say it's very hard, but it's these guys just had an eye for a line. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a stunning route that strikes across the whole West Face. and. Really fun climbing, like some mix, some easy ice, and then there's a rock band up top, up high that if you screw up, it's kind of 510-ish, and I screwed the route lining up, so it was kind of run out 510 and boots and, you know, the usual sort of alpine experience. And so then we climbed to the summit ridge, and we didn't summit on that trip. Um, we ended up coming down off the summit ridge and mm-hmm. just hitting the descent route because we had such a limited window. And that's always kind of one of these things, like, you know, I'll that just motivates me to go back. You know, some people sure. would be pissed off, but it's like, it's just another reason to go back to that place and, mm-hmm. and try and climb another route and get to the summit of the mountain. So, right. Yeah. So that was a fun trip. Yeah. We were in and out in like three days. Okay. So 
Yeah, and there were these Polish dudes that were there for weeks, and they were like, what the hell? Right. Like, where did you guys come from? You're leaving already? Right. Like, you're just like, peace. Yeah. No, we, they had broken a bunch of... at McDonald's. Yeah, go. pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they just... Yeah, we, they broke a bunch of equipment, so we gave them a bunch of stuff, and we're like, here you go, guys. Have a good rest of your trip, and we yep. just jetted right out of there. It was awesome. So... That's the way to do it, man. Yeah. Leave them leaving like, wow, that, who are those people? Yeah. No, they What's were... up? I, I love seeing... I mean, it's just... That's my life right now. Like I can't right. fit in those long trips anymore. I've traded sort of that, that time aspect, you know, where you have lots of time mm-hmm. for sort of, I've got a little bit more money and responsibility now. So it's like, right. now I just sort of try and fit them in the shorter, shorter trips. Right. Well, so, I mean, you know, let's face it. Being a professor isn't the, isn't the worst thing that can no, happen I'm, to you. No, I'm so happy, man. It's like, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's between grad school and the postdoc I've had, it's, it's seven and a half years now. And like, I didn't ever know, mm-hmm. if, you know, it's. I see so many people who are so much smarter mm-hmm. than me. Like, they're as motivated for, they take all the motivation I have for science and all the motivation I have for climbing and apply it to science. Right. And so they, like, they should be getting jobs, not me. Right. right. And I've somehow managed to swindle these people into thinking, like, oh, yeah, it's a good idea to hire that guy. Like, right. they never ask about climbing, thankfully. They don't, I don't think they really know or looked or, and so it's like, because I mean, I wouldn't, I don't know, would you want to hire somebody that you knew was jetting off to do these things to, do that kind of stuff. It's hard. It's, yeah, I know. So I mean, it would it would be a weird decision to say no to somebody because of those sorts of right. But I if mean, there's just as good of a candidate who doesn't right, have right, that background, I right. mean, one of my friends, we the guy who sits four offices away from me, interviewed for the same job. Okay, and I ended up getting offered it. Right. So you know, something worked out there in my favor, and so. Uh-huh. I'm really excited to be starting. Like he was into model trains, and they yeah, were like, no, we're not, we're not, no, that's <laughs> no, bad. Uh, he was a city boy. He okay. was, yeah, Princeton educated and wore preppy shirts every day. I show up with holes in my t-shirts sometimes. And you still got the job? Yeah, I did, man. Nice. So I'm, I'm pretty excited. This is like I don't know. It's been a long winding road for academics, but I'm I'm really happy. Like mm-hmm. this is really good. So well, let me ask you then about uh, you know your you you identify. As an alpinist. I do. It's kind of like we're at some sort of therapy session. Yeah, no, it's necessary. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so let me ask you just about a little bit of arc of of you starting to to become a climber um, and and ending up in this, like I said, this sort of at the footsteps of this pantheon of these of of smart but stupid alpinists. Yes. Yeah. So uh, I was born in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh Uh-huh. And... So my dad, is, my dad's a scientist. So. The percentage of of Albuquerque climbers that have been on the enormous I know I was is starting that, to get a had, little bit outrageous. Yeah, Cody, right? Yeah, and Cody like, and uh, Matt Sam has oh, been right, on, yeah. and somebody else that identified kind of with Albuquerque or with New Mexico. So I mean, you notice none of us. Well, Cody's back, but most of yeah. us are trying to get out, right? Well, Co- Cody's so, sort of back. He's yeah. in South Africa right now. Well, yeah, but, yeah. So. Um, He's got a lot of love for Albuquerque, though. So, I, you know, I was only there until I was about six. Um, mm-hmm. And then my dad was a scientist at the National Lab, and then he decided to become a professor. So we moved to upstate New York. And while I was in New Mexico, you know, he took me on the typical stuff you do with your kids when you like the mountains. My dad loved kind of real moderate climbing, the kind of stuff that the terrain you find on a lot of alpine climbing, actually. Like, ne- never, maybe not that technical, but like stuff mm-hmm. you like to do all day. And then in New York, we were near the Adirondacks. And so we... Uh, we started kind of doing longer stuff there. And then I was there until I was about 12. And then he took a job in Southern California, which was like a really prestigious university he went to. And so we had, you know, basically for his career, he had to go. But for me, that meant the climbing was kind of done at that point. I, I lost interest. He wasn't taking me. So I started surfing and playing sports. I played water polo, you know, so of all things you can think of. For, <laughs> right. So wearing it, we had these bright gold Speedos. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, I was sure. trying to be as ugly as possible. Yeah. And, 
then I went to college, and, and so in all through high school, that's all I did. I surfed, I swam, I did that stuff, and I was in the mountains a bit, but never like it wasn't in the. I didn't even think about climbing, and then in college, I kind of started to get back into it, and I burned out hard in college on science. Like I was supposed to go to grad school at Boulder, actually, I got in, and it was like a big accomplishment on my part. Mm-hmm. And I realized I was going to drop out in a year. Like I hated sure. it. I hated science. I wanted nothing to do with it. And so I moved into my car, I got an EMT license, and I started working search and rescue back in New Mexico. And I was living in northern New Mexico, and I started climbing more. I started realizing I really liked the mountains. And like, so I realized I needed to learn some stuff about snow, and then learned something about ice. I never held an ice tool, really, mm-hmm. up until that point. And uh, so I ended up moving up to Colorado, and I had a cousin in Colorado who let me couch crash sometimes when I wasn't in my little 96 black Honda. So I just started going for it. And I bought an old pair of straight shaft casino rainbows, you know, which is sort of the thing only people who have kind of been around for a bit are going to know what those are. And, and mm-hmm. they were sort of a bit of an evolution from some of the older tools and just started throwing myself at it and doing stupid things, right? Like leading things what, you shouldn't what, lead. How, what years were this? So this about? is like, uh, this is like 2000 now. So, so 2000. Yeah. Yeah. You should have been way beyond. Straight oh. shaft, crappy tool. Yeah, no, I just right. bought what I could. Right, you know, right, right. I could afford. I couldn't afford much, and and then uh, I got this bug in my head. I was going to go to South America, and so I started looking into it. And like, I knew Patagonia was like the really good rock climbing. Mm-hmm. I didn't know much about that, and I was an okay rock climber at that point. Maybe like climbing five ten or five eleven, you know. And I'd, I was kind of still figuring things out, and and so I um, I was like, I want to go to Peru. That sounds cool. I'm going to do that. So I bought a one way ticket. And I was like, I'm just going to go live down there. Screw the United States. I'm, I'm going to go live that life. By chance, I met the woman who's now my wife, Allison, at a movie. And I ended up pushing my ticket back and pushing my ticket back. Mm-hmm. And then it turned out the whole time she was kind of playing me. She had a trip, work trip to Peru planned. <laughs> and she wasn't telling me about it because we were just first dating. Oh, sure. And so then it ended up like, she's like, oh, I'm going to be in Peru too. Can uh-huh. we go traveling together? So oh, then my nice. trip became like climbing and traveling. A minute, which wait is, a minute. Hold on a second. You met her at a movie. Yeah. So like what? This is an awesome like story. You like, popcorn on her. No or man. I so said? so I was like the dirt bag front. I was like one of the guys with a climb partner, and his wife worked at the the hospital, mm-hmm. and then one of their good friends worked at the hospital too, and that's where Allison, my wife, uh, was working at the time. And uh, so I was like the hanger on of that group. Like this one guy invited me to go see. I don't even remember what movie it was. It's Troy, mm-hmm. and. Uh, so like we we kind of met and we got to talk a bit and I was like oh she's pretty cute maybe we should try and ask her on a date. Um, my buddy didn't have her phone number and his wife hated me because I was his climbing partner. And ah. I was like, <laughs> and so I couldn't get her phone number for weeks. All right, huh? I ended up going on a climb trip to the Tetons with with my buddy and came back and I was still trying to get her phone number and it turns out she was trying to do the same thing. You're being discriminated. Against yeah, well they wouldn't give her. So she standing. was asking too. It turns out there's mutual oh, and they wouldn't really? give her the phone number either. So finally, my buddy like slipped it to me on the side, and we went on a date, and that was sort of history. Like you know, we've been together since then, which so um, that was in two thousand three. So right on. Um, and uh, yeah, so she kind of played me a little bit. She was super smart about it, and you know, so we met up in Peru. I went down to Peru and led like the hardest pitch of ice I'd ever led at like almost six thousand meters on this trip. I got my front teeth busted out from ice falling, and not not learning to put my ads off to the side of the belay, so my head got slammed into my ads like. Like, just total junk show. We got down from the right. climb. I couldn't find the tent. 
Uh-huh. And so my buddy found it and didn't yell at me, so I just curled up in a ball and slept so on the and, glacier. And, and, and like, dreamt of Joe Simpson. Probably. Yeah, <laughs> man. And like <laughs> in the morning, we had enough fuel to make coffee or ramen. Right. And we went for coffee. Yeah, of course of you course did. did. But then I started eating the dry ramen, and it was like a two-day walk out. We were mm-hmm. on the, the side of Artisan Rahu that doesn't get climbed as much mm-hmm. as often. And So what, you like your teeth are cracked in half? So these like- are fake. Both of them. Yeah, both front teeth. It's a, And it's shaped like I mean, an ads. How painful was that? So actually, it, the ice hit my shoulder, right. too. And so at first, I was like, oh, my shoulder hurts. And then I spit something out. And I was like, that's weird. How do I get ice in my mouth? And then I realized it was my teeth. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this sucks. <laughs> and so it ended up, it actually ended up exposing the root on one of them. Ugh. So my wife's fluent in Spanish. Mm-hmm. So when we were traveling together, we went to the, the we went down and saw like Machu Picchu and, right. and did all that stuff. And so we went to like one of the, uh, um, you can get a lot of drugs down there, as you know too. And so, what do you mean, as <laughs> I know too? What are you tra- What are you implying? Anybody who's, who's traveled understands the the difference between the United States right. and the rest of the world. The, and the whole pres- idea of prescription yeah. isn't really all. And that it turns out, prevalent. I guess clove paste is supposed to help the keep the roots moist mm-hmm. and not hurt so much. And my hurt, tooth was hurting a lot. And I was thinking about like continuing my trip and getting the right. dentist work done in Argentina. And she's like, "There's no way you're doing that." And really? Yeah. So she, so we went to the pharmacy and. She asked for this clove paste because I had a tooth cane, and they came back with like ampules of lidocaine and a needle, and they were like, "This will help." And we were like, "No, no, 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 no." Not, and I was like, "Well, actually, maybe I should take that for right. late. Like, anything else?" But so we ended up getting this clove paste. I ended up hanging out for a few more weeks, and finally, I was like, "It hurts too much," so I went home and I got uh-huh. the teeth worked on. And, uh-huh. But then that was sort of like that trip hooked me. Right. That that experience of like getting worked on a big mountain and being alone and mm-hmm. like figuring it out. Sure. That is really what drew me in to like, to basically put me to try and figure this arc out. And I realized I needed mm-hmm. to climb harder. Mm-hmm. I realized I needed to be in better shape and I realized I just needed to learn a lot of stuff. Right. And so I came back and I just started going up to Rocky mountain national park every chance I got and just like, you know, scraping up, you just granite slabs with snow and, you know, learning that way. I mean, scared all the time up there. And, and then, you know, I went back to Peru again and I did better the next time. Like we mm-hmm. climbed Alpamayo and we did some other stuff and like that went pretty smoothly. And then I was just back and forth between the States and Peru for a bit. I was loving it down there. I still have good friends down there. It's a wonderful place to climb. Like it's, it's absolutely stunningly beautiful. The people are awesome. But then, you know, I, I met this Gambino character that you and right, I both right, know. Right. And, uh, That's one of our connections. Yeah. A close friend, Dan Gambino, who, who actually I'm going to someday, uh, along with him and Celine, uh, have him on the show together. Oh, see, the, the, then the shed stories are going to yeah. come out and yeah, like, right. it's going to be bad, yeah. right? No, it's going to be great. Yeah. <laughs> is what it's so gonna be. in the process of that whole like bouncing between, you know, the United States and, and Peru, I, I ended up getting a shop at a gear shop called Wilderness Exchange in, in Denver and, and Dan moved down from Fort Collins during that time mm-hmm. and got a job at the shop too, mm-hmm. and really amped up because the smear fear was in that year. Right, and I knew I couldn't lead it. And that's on lo, lo, on the diag- it's diagonal on, wall. Yeah, right? diagonal wall. Stetner's yeah, kinda. it's it's pretty much just to the left of Alexander's Chimney. Okay, and um and yeah, the on diag- Long's Peak. On sorry. Long's Peak, and the, this is an international program. Oh, we have sorry. To center these so people. in Long's Peak, the uh, premier alpine climbing arena of northern Colorado, right. there's a a lot of early season mixed routes that might come in, and they're really rare. And so when they come in. Everyone goes chasing them, and the smear of fear is one of them. And it's this—it's called that for a reason. It's this very thin curtain of ice that drops down. Some years it comes all the way down to the snow, and so you can climb it as a pure ice route. But most years, you have to do like a five ten traverse into it mm-hmm. with tools and crampons. And 
I felt like that was still kind of above me at the time because also this this route was kind of in my head. It's one of those routes like uh-huh. it's got a reputation, and so uh, Dan introduced me to Scott DiCapio, who uh, like made me run up the trail basically. Sure, and yeah. uh, then was ready to go twenty minutes before I was ready to start climbing, and right. I already run the ropes up the first pitch, and then he just fired this thing. Right, and it was unbelievably eye opening. I was like, that is what like a. Re- if you could be that fast, you can get a lot done. Sure. And yeah, so, well, yeah. And, and Scotty D is sort of like, uh, I mean, I, I like to use Hayden Kennedy's probably not original phrase, but still the undercover bone crusher. Right? Yep. He yeah. defines it for me. Like oh, absolutely. He's the climbing relatively monster, right? unknown. And he's like everybody's go-to partner of these like relatively known sponsored yeah. climbers oh, know he's, that he's the guy to go with. He's yeah. so strong, yeah, and he's so excited, and he's just like, I mean, off the couch, he's stronger than almost everybody, right? And so that was really eye-opening. And then I climbed with Scott for a bit, and really got to see like, like his style of ice climbing and, and his style of mixed climbing really influenced me, and like gave me sort of like what I was looking, how I was looking to climb. And so I, I just started spending like 100 to 150 days a year on my tools mm-hmm. and like learning to mix climb and kind of the detriment of rock climbing for sure because I was kind of burned out by the time summer come around a bit. But so then I go to Alaska or something. But Scotty D like really kind of and I'm still I'm nowhere near that, mm-hmm. you know, but but just I always whatever I want to when I feel like I'm climbing well, I'm like, yeah, I'm climbing like Scotty today. Like this is like, <laughs> and so it's a huge like it's just a goal for me. Like he it's just mind blowing. And, you know, I met Cordis and, and that was, you know, I, I've sort of become known now and for this taking adopting those guys style among our friends too of this sure. stupid light. You know, what does Kelly call it? delusional optimism? Sure. Right? Where like you're like, it'll be fine. Right. It'll be it'll be good. Let's just go light. Mm-hmm. And it's never fine for the most part. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so. And those guys had a huge influence on me. And, and so this was probably between like uh, 2003 when I met my wife and like 2006 or seven when I decided to go back to grad school. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just spent a lot of time in the park. I was going to South America and, and just really trying to learn from those guys and trying to get better at that stuff. I'm trying to be a better rock climber too. Like I started going to the black and started doing all that stuff and having a blast with those, mm-hmm. you know, those kind of routes and climbing on the diamond in the summer and climbing on spearhead. And just, I really lived in the park. Right. Like that. It was really like for me everything that's like the genesis of everything for me in terms of this kind of climbing and i think it's you know you'll get in these arguments with people from the cascades and stuff because they have real glaciers and all that problems but to me like the ease of access plus the kind of terrain you run into in the park it's that weird climbing that will shut you down in the mountains mm-hmm. like the five ten hand cracks this is, this is I'm, I'm parroting kelly in some ways here but it's true like you know the, the hand crack's not going to shut you down the pillar of ice isn't going to shut you down it's that snow covered slab to connect the pieces that's going to shut you down and so right. Like that really, really was like that is an unbelievably valuable and special place to me from just like really learning there mm-hmm. and like getting thrashed on these routes and you're only an hour from the road, right? You know, but just getting worked, right? Like failing so much. Well, you brought up earlier actually. Uh, Dan Gambino told you a story about my little foray into uh, into trying to be some sort of alpinist, although. The, the truth is, is I mean, I always wanted to be an alpinist when I was started climbing, and I climbed ice, and I climbed mountains, and went to New Zealand, and you know, and but really, even that mission that he spoke of, where I tried to uh, tried to climb the diamond in winter, I'd actually tried to solo it in winter once as well, Ugh. and uh, but it was really in my mind, and maybe this was a problem. It was more of a rock climbing mission even then, um, but uh, but you know, 
I had to get up to North Chimney, which is a big, giant, awful snow gully in the yeah, wintertime. Yeah, it's not fun. Which is why, you know, it was nice and convenient when my partner that I was going to do the diamond with, somehow, I, did he tell you how he, he got him to I do it? I thought he, like, had, he was doing it. Um, oh, it was a guide training. Yeah, it was guide training. That's yeah. right. And, yeah. um, and he, what do you say, he ended up setting an anchor, right? Yeah, well, he they were going to fix ropes in the North Chimney for oh, okay. us. Okay. And... Marco needed to to do either an evaluation or something with Dan. Okay, that's it's coming back to me. So they he was so Marco and his also like kind of sneaky thing said, all right, well I got to do this anyway. How about we hump these ropes up and fix the North Chimney? Okay, and then yeah, he sent Dan up in like just some sort of you know monster constant spin drift, you know snow on rock kind of thing lead and. Dan put the anchor lower than it should have been, and so when I got when we went in to try to climb the the upper wall in winter, I got up there and it was like everything had moved because he had been on some sort of snow ledge. Yeah, but everything had moved, so basically the anchor was in the middle of nowhere, like twenty five feet below where it should have been, and I was just like, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know how bad I must have gotten about it, but somehow it got back to Dan that I was. Oh man, he just upset. yeah. I mean, he was like. <laughs> Clearly, this is a story you need to talk about when you, if you see him, because I don't know, I don't, I don't, I, you know, I was a different kind of person back then, so I probably was a little bit more upset. Well, uh, you guys were all very angry. Yeah, we were there. actually. We were living up there. I mean, I don't know. It's, I mean, I've heard all the, those stories are things of legend at this point, right? Yeah, but I was, I was also a different person. Like, like the thought of wallowing up the North Chimney in a, in in snow drifts to try to then climb the wall above it now is just. It's an absurdity no, to me. Come yeah, on. Right. It's going to be enjoyable. But I mean, even I've even changed so much that, like, you know, I did all these A5 kind of things on El Cap, and I always joke that if you suddenly, like, magically transported me into the middle of one of those pitches, one that I don't even remember, like, right. I would, like, lose my mind. I would freak out and just and fall to my death instantly. But back then, it was just like, da, 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 I'm just up here hooking away, like, no worries, you know? Yeah, and, and, and that mentality, I mean, it's... It's sort of funny you mentioned that, like, it, it's you got to cultivate that kind of mentality, right? I'm sure you had a progression to get to that point sure. where you felt that way, and and I feel like there's the same thing for for climbing in the mountains and your tolerance for like no gear snow pitches or like mm-hmm. no gear M5 pitches, where it's like technically reasonable, but there's really like you you know, it's pretty scary. Sure, I was just on on Robson with Jess Ross Kelly. We were trying to put a new route up on the Emperor face, and a lot of the climbing was that. And it was pretty obvious that we're pretty much the same age. And Jess is a stronger climber than I am technically. You know, mm-hmm. he's upside down mixed climbing. And uh, for sure, like, just those years of me doing that, especially, like, the weird snow climbing and stuff mm-hmm. and, and Peru in the park and those slab pitches, like, you know, the, it's obvious to me while in Robson, like, I was really comfortable with that. Sure. Whereas Jess was probably appropriately scared. Right. And was like, hey, this seems dangerous. I'm like, well, be fine. Let's sure. just keep going, you know. And, and I, I pushed us into a situation that, like, we ended up having to have to bail eventually because the weather turned on us. And mm-hmm. so we had to bail, like, a 7,000 foot face, which is then another skill set that I feel like you got to cultivate, too. And so sure. that's the same mentality. Like, I go rock climbing now. And like stuff that I should never be worried about or scared on. I'm like, oh, I don't know. Like this is kind of weird. Yeah, and kind so of like everything's sort of that zone, comfort yeah. level, you yeah. know. And and I just happen to find a part of climbing where I feel like I fit in really well with that. And mm-hmm. maybe it'll change over time, and it has a bit, right? You know. But but I love this that side of it. I love like being in the mountains and putting those pitches together, and then yeah. So. Well, and what you were just talking about, it's like I don't know. There's alpinism 
I guess that word is, you know, something that's fairly subjective and we can sort of oh, define it, but yeah. it definitely has splintered quite a bit even to into its own spe- specializations where yeah. where it was like I don't know, in the 70s, you know, they they were kind of cut off from the same cloth. It, oh, it felt I th- like yeah, you know and I think I mean? everyone should. I don't know. I mean, personally, I don't. I mean, people call me an alpine climber. And I guess I self-identify that way. But like, I love rock climbing. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I've never really a climbed very much. Right. In fact, the winter in the diamond is one of the few real a climbs I've done. And mm-hmm. we were kind of slow on it. <laughs> and so I emailed exactly. uh, Kyle Dempster about it, and right. I was because I know Kyle just through friends, and we were chatting, and I was like, "Hey, you got any advice for being faster?" He's like, "Well, did you bring a boombox?" Because you just need to blast metal, and that's why you didn't go fast enough, <laughs> you know. And so there's this sort of irreverence, you know, yeah. about doing it. That right. I, I mean, I really feel like I mean, it gets split up, and but I really feel like you need the all around skill set. Like maybe right. you, you know, I'm definitely not the best rock climber in the world. I'm not right. the best mixed climber in the world, but like I can do both at a reasonable level, and I seem to have a high tolerance for stupidity in the mountains. Sure, and so that works out in my favor. Most, of, I mean, it's worked out so far. Mm-hmm. So. But, you know, thinking about that and 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 uh, talking about alpinism, like it's one of these kind of uh, pursuits that in a lot of ways, you know, getting better or doing sort of improving your style or or any of those things seems to have an element of also adding risk to it. And so I, I feel like a lot of alpinists, there's an arc, you know, and they maybe if they if they I mean, quite frankly, survive. In, in, in yeah. some cases, but or they they get to a point where maybe they do have whether it's even conscious or unconscious, sort of a of a, I've reached the end of what I'm willing to kind of push myself towards. I think that's definitely true. I felt it in ice climbing. Now, mm-hmm. like we were talking about Aaron Mulkey a little bit earlier, like you know he's a really strong ice climber and he'll climb stuff that I'm really uncomfortable on because mm-hmm. there's like free hanging pillars. is sure. not something I'm very excited about. I mean, I'll climb them if there's good rock gear available, but you know, you see those little pictures of like Alex Lowe or Jack tackle and those guys just tapping their way up it. And sure. like Jack's a really good example. I've been really lucky to get to know Jack through mm-hmm. this group of people. And, and he's been just this like wealth of wisdom. And I got to climb with him a few times and, and he's really talked with me about this stuff a lot because he's had that arc and like he's still interested in, in doing it. But like, you know, learning to pick lines that minimize the objective danger or, or doing that kind of thing is part of the skill set, I think. But you, can, you can't really get rid of it. And as right. you go farther into it, especially if you're looking for new lines. Sure. Because those guys were really good at what they did and they were way harder than we are. Right. Like Jack's generation and the generation before. And they, the things they climbed are amazing. And they, they did a lot of those plumb lines and ranges that are easily accessible. And, and even places that aren't. Like, I've gone and climbed something and emailed Jack about it. He's like, oh, yeah, we did that in, you know, the early 70s. Sure. And I'm like, holy crap, that pushed me to my limit. And he's like, oh, it was fun. Right. And I'm just like, oh, we're soft. Like, right. <laughs> so, like, those Jack and I, he's been in, you know, Jack and, and Jay, um, Jay Smith and Kitty Calhoun and, and Bill Belcourt are people I've been unbelievably lucky to get to know. And they've, mm-hmm. they support sort of this younger generation of people and, and are sharing their wisdom about it so that we're not mm-hmm. like going out and, and just sort of blind. Like they've been really good to us. And so I really have learned a lot from those guys about just this idea of like, it's going to, there are possibilities that it's going to get more dangerous. How do you sort of make that distinction and how do you learn how to judge things? And, but in the end it does come down to your gut feeling a lot of the time. Sure. And, I mean, 
you friends that died. I've had a lot of friends that have died, especially in the last few years as I get more into it. Mm -hmm. It's just that timeline, right? I mean, I've heard you talk about this with people before, like the longer people are in the alpine climbing game, like the more you're going to know people that have gotten killed. And so, um, sometimes you try and take lessons from that, but other times you get in situations where you just can't do anything about it. Sure. Like I climbed my, we, my friend John Free and I did in, uh, the first ascent of the Northeast face of Mount Dickey, which is in the Ruth Gorge of Alaska. So it's a mile high wall and no one had climbed on this part of the face before. turns out Scott had tried to solo part of it is uh -huh. what Dan was telling me, which just figures. Right. Right. And so the first, uh, half of the route was totally reasonable, uh, totally reasonable in that it was like unprotectable thin ice climbing and then hard mixed pitches, but like nothing over our heads. Mm -hmm. And, um, then we bivied and we, we meant to bivy and we actually brought a tent. So that's good for once. Right. We were slightly prepared. Right. <laughs> uh, but the way we were planning to go was up a chimney and exit the ridge and the chimney was just chock full of these death snow mushrooms, you know, which is when the wind sculpts the snow into this sort of free hanging feature that can spontaneously fall off and has killed people in Alaska. And so we decided not to go that way. We decided to roll our dice and, and go check out this route that the French had did called Move Your Ass and Your Mind Will Follow. Mm -hmm. And these guys are sort of known for being a little bit nuts. And we got over there and it was like techie hooking. And we had, you know, a set of stoppers, some screws and some cams. I was like, we're not doing this. Like, I can't freak. I can't even mix climb this. There's no gear. And so we were faced with the choice of going down or committing to like a 70-meter rappel onto an ice runnel that we would have hoped went back up to the ridge instead of going to this big hanging glacier called Walmart. Um, and actually like Joe Pierre, Mark Westman, Kelly, Scott were all in there on the trip and they nicknamed it Walmart cause it was so freaking big. Uh -huh. And so John and I decided to commit and that was kind of that. And so we, you know, did this rappel, pulled our ropes. And at this point we were unknown terrain. We were not where we came up and we didn't know if it was going to meet this hanging glacier or not. In the end, we were pretty sheltered for all of it until the last bit we realized we had to run under these seracs. And I was really unhappy about that, but it was either try and go down a few thousand, you know, 5,000 feet with a minimal rack, not knowing where you are, or spend an hour running or a little bit less than an hour, just basically running straight across under these things. And so mm -hmm. we chose the latter and it worked out and it was fine, but it's, I, I mean, I can't, I'm, I'm happy with the route. It was an amazing experience. It was with one of my best friends and it was like, you know, really good. But on the other hand, like you have to deal with that element of like, was that the best idea in the world? And so, right. I don't know. I mean, I, I can't answer that question. Like, we're fine, right? And we lived. But I have friends that haven't lived from doing things like that. Right. And so, you know, I try, try and I'm continually learning to try and make smarter decisions. But really, that's the whole game, though, is you're not given choices. Right. You know, or, or you're giving you're giving, you know, bad and worse. Right. Rewind to the beginning of the show. It's part of why you're drawn to it. Yeah. You know, I'd, I'd say that. And we were talking about the the sort of this long history of, of scientists mm -hmm. you know, doing this kind of climbing. I see it for me myself. There's a large parallel in the discovery process between the two mm -hmm. and that, you know, science, I'm, I, you fail. If you are not okay with failure, science, like new science is the wrong field to be in. You know, mm -hmm. one out of every hundred new ideas I have might pan out into something. Sure. And, and I feel like alpine climbing is very similar in that it's, if it's not process driven and you don't enjoy the process, like the goals are, you know, when you get a goal done, it's awesome and it's mm -hmm. a wonderful feeling. But like, if you don't get something out of being there and doing it at the time, it's the wrong thing for you to doing. And I feel the same way about science. Like, if you're not enjoying the, the, that discovery process, if you only want to publish papers and get famous, which is again a small esoteric field right. to be famous, and same as if you want to be a famous climber, right? Like, that's the wrong motivation. Yeah, but if if your experiments fail, you don't die. No, 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 <laughs> no. Yeah, okay, so. <laughs> You just get depressed, right? Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I understand, but right. it's 
uh, hopefully I understand. I get yeah, it. No, no, I mean, no. You're, you're absolutely right. Analogy, I mean, but, you know, it's in some ways it's not <laughs> rational. Um, yeah, it's like you're there's a cognitive disconnect there in some ways. The, the doors in the lab slide yeah. shut and the alarms go off and they so, gas you because yeah. You thankfully, <laughs> I don't work on anything like that. But I mean, that's you know, it's you're right. There's a very different. Um, there is none of that happening. Well, there, it's a. Curious. I mean, you mentioned Kelly Cordes, and and what was his? What did you call his philosophy again? Uh, delusional optimism. Delusional optimism, and it's you know Kelly's got a great sense of humor, and he and he jokes about you know this the idiot's guide to alpinism and all those sorts of things. But we also both know Kelly. Yeah. We know that this darkness runs underneath it. Oh yeah. And anybody who reads his writing and all that knows that it's there. Yeah. And and the truth is, is all that joking around is hiding this thing. You know that one of the things that alpinism modern alpinism has gotten to you know i don't know when it happened or maybe it's always been like this but you know you guys do tend to push yourselves into places where all of a sudden failure isn't necessarily even the option like you said like you guys dropped down to there where going down was not i mean i mean it's all everything's always an option but part of this game it seems to be is like on these great big faces you know thinking of uh even, you know, maybe one of the guys that did sort of usher this in is uh, is Steve House and like on the, the Rupal face and things like that where, you know, clearly when you read him writing about it and in the conflict that, that like Bruce and him had on the first attempt, right. it was like he was willing to just like forget it. I'm yeah. good. I either, I either win or I lose and losing means I don't come back. I don't think you're there, but don't you feel like maybe the the sort of pursuit in the sport is like every year is pushing so, into that land? Um, I think it's a really good question. And I feel like there was a very heavy push into that. The, the way you put it is the darkness. Like a, a lot of these guys that we're mutual friends with, like Dan and Pete and Kelly and those guys, there's this, to me, I mean, they're wonderful people, but it, some of them, it seems like there is that dark undercurrent, not all of them. Mm-hmm. And then well, I, I mean, like, I mean, think about Twight too. Yeah, like, no, I mean, he, exactly. He sort he, of like mythologized that exactly. Whole thing, so, yeah. so people like me, you know, we that book was the Bible at first, right? Right. Um, and that Kiss extreme or, alpinism and Kiss or Kill. Yeah. Extreme alpinism was like the the stuff to take and the way to do it. Right. And then Kiss or Kill was the attitude to have. Right. right? They were sort of complementary. Sure. And uh, you know, I remember reading Kiss or Kill in the beginning, and I was like, Yeah, man, this is it. And I read Kiss or Kill now, and I'm like, eh. <laughs> like, and so for me, like, I think a lot of people do. <laughs> but I understand where he's coming from. But right. and Kyle's, did you read Kyle's most recent article on Alpinist about this? No, it's a wonderful thing. What he talks about is is his transition from like having that mentality and coming up under that. To, to having an irreverent mentality and doing it because we love it. And, sure. and I feel like I've, you know, on a much smaller scale and, and obviously not anywhere near climbing as big of things as Kyle, but but trying to play in the same sort of arenas of going and, and climbing big mountains, I feel like I've kind of felt the same way of like, I started taking a small stuffed pig on climbs uh-huh. and like, he's the travel pig and sure. like, he just, you know, he's he's been to Argentina, like he's been to Alaska, he's been to Canada and it's like, I like doing this and I want to live and like, you know, I, I've not climbed things because I think they're dumb. Right. You know, if I know ahead of time that I think it's dumb, I'm not going to do it. If you, but then there's something to be said, and you're absolutely right for that. You, yourself, and your partner, and your your abilities put into a situation where there's sort of a, a clear-cut path that is difficult. Mm-hmm. And so far on that Robson climb I mentioned already, like I pushed us hard to top out. I wanted it bad. 
The thing is, if we had hit the ridge, we still had almost a horizontal kilometer to the summit and the walk-off in the clouds sure. on a mountain we knew really nothing about. And and Jess is John Ross Kelly's son, and John Ross Kelly has this unbelievable history of climbing the mountains, and I feel like that some of that knowledge has been imparted to him because Jess made the intelligent choice there of, like, sure. we, we need to go down. Right. And, like, we weren't ever in danger. Like, that was, you know, it was just a hard day. Mm-hmm. But... But that was definitely like, you know, one of those choices where if we had climbed farther, maybe the storm was going to get worse. Right. And, and things. And so we went down and it was totally fine. Like we had a long walk out and we had a long rappel and but we found anchors. Nothing was ever sketchy. And and so it was this experience that was really good because it was like we pushed hard and we failed. But like it wasn't one of these experiences where you fail and you're like, we almost died. Oh, my right, God. Right. Like, I just had a great time. Right. And yeah. Like that, I, mean, I want I want that to be what it is for me. I don't want this other side of it. But. It's it's intertwined. Right, that, you can't it, avoid it yeah. if you're going to climb in the mountain. I mean, it's like that. it's it, it, throughout climbing, and, and I guess a lot of, of pursuits that are similar. Like there is, we all pretend to be kind of these mellow, groovy, you know, semi semi Buddhist sort of like, yeah, this is about you know living in the moment and everything else. And yet, we're all caught up in the experience has to be crowned by the finish right whether it's the red point whether it's the summit whether it's climbing the top rope clean i mean and yet you know like you just said you did how you know maybe 20 30 40 pitches who knows how many you guys yeah. are doing of good climbing or cool climbing or interesting climbing new climbing discovery yeah. all these hundreds of different things that that are probably super positive experiences right and yet back in our minds we're like oh. yeah but if i don't like Slap the summit. It matters. Yeah, it's such summit a matters. thing. When when John and I did this route on Dickey, this was but like, even even like with you guys, it's summits, it's actual mountaintops. It's a but goal. Throughout climbing, there's there's some. I mean, the freaking chains in the middle of the wall. Oh, it matters. You know? I get the same way yeah. about. I mean, sport climbing, and sure. you know, it's, I feel that same way. You want it so bad, and like when we, I was talking with Bill Belcourt about um, his ascent of the Moonflower Buttress, and. And they, this is on Mount Hunter, and it's this famous buttress, and, and there's a few routes on it, and, and it has a really strong history. And um, and so the Bibler Quine is a is the route that you know goes to the summit and sort of like the prominent route on that mm-hmm. buttress. And when you top it out, you can cut over to the descent ridge instead of t- tagging the summit. And him and his partner kind of looked at each other, and they were like, "It matters. Like we regret it. We came all this way, like because it's it's slogging from there. Right. It's not." You just climb like multiple pitches, some aid pitches, mm-hmm. some M, you know, M seven if you free it, like hard water ice, like overhanging water ice, and you got to walk. Sure. So it's not the same experience anymore, but it's it matters to go there and right. like that. Do you top out the diamond every time you climb it? I the, did it once, and summit? I haven't done it since. <laughs> Me so neither. what do you do? Yeah. Like, no, I agree. The first time I had to do yeah, it, right. now Kevin replaced those bolts, right? Yeah. And like, I clip those bolts, and I go. It's a cragging day on the diamond yeah, yeah, now, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I leave my just, stuff. I leave my stuff down in the boulder field. I take yeah. a water bottle and a jacket. Yeah. I go up the north chimney. You climb the route. You go down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's just funny. Always, no, it's, it's but I, uh, the first time I climbed it. I walked my yep. ass to the top. Oh, I did too. For sure. Absolutely. Okay, cool. It matters. <laughs> no, I agree. And so it's this weird dichotomy of like, and, and I got really goal oriented for a while there mm-hmm. and cause I had a lot of failure and, and in the learning process for alpinism, some people don't have a lot of failure. Some people do. And, and I had a lot of failure, especially on, you know, because we, we were going bigger than we should have. Mm-hmm. And, and so I got really goal oriented for a bit of like, I just want to finish something. And now I feel like, um, I'm coming back around to being process oriented mm-hmm. and like, and part of that is like my work life's gotten better. Like sure. I'm the happiest I've been in years because like I've kind of, I haven't made it, but like I'm out of that, 
sort of hell that can be, gra- you know, the graduate school program and, sure. and getting your doctorate and all that stuff. Like, I mean, the fact that people still think I'm a responsible adult and smart, you know, maybe I don't feel like that's reality yet. I feel like I'm kind of a po- imposter in that world. Mm-hmm. But I feel the same way in alpine climbing. Like, you know, there's guys like Hayden and Kyle and, and Kelly and Scott and, and Jack and Bill. And like, I definitely don't feel like I'm playing in the same area as them, but sure. they're my f- friends. And so right. it's like a weird thing. Like there's definitely, and maybe everyone feels like that. I don't know. But I mean, for me, I always feel like I feel like I had something to prove for such a long sure. time and, and I'm coming back around now to not caring and just really enjoying being out with my friends. Well, let me ask you about that too. It, it's something that occurred to me a little earlier is that, I mean, this group of guys that you just mentioned and you've mentioned a, uh, a quite a few different names in here, but it's it still within Alpine climbing in, in terms of the technical level of what you guys pursue, it, it's a pretty small group. Uh, I mean, in t- terms of let's keeping it, keeping it to like Americans and Canadians. Well, yeah. I mean, aside from what's going on in Europe, who knows but, what the Euros are doing anyway. Right, right. Yeah. Or the, the Polish or yeah. any of those guys. But, <laughs> but I mean, you guys, it's like, I keep hearing whenever I talk to, to, to Alpinists, it's like these guys, you, you're all familiar with each other. You're really close with some and, and at least good acquaintances with, with everybody else. I'm not in that group. I'm friends with you guys, but I don't really, I can't really operate with you and on that level. But, you know, I get this distinct feeling of competition in there. It's like primarily men. Yeah. Okay. Like as usual. No, as always. Right. And, I mean, and whenever you have these group of men, you know, out, out like pumping testosterone th- through their veins, there's a little bit of competition. But generally, for the most part, it feels like it's positive. I agree. I mean, so so one person I haven't mentioned yet that I absolutely have to is Jared Vilhauer, who I climbed Saratoria with this last Wait, year. Say, say that again. Jared Vilhauer. Okay. He lives in Telluride. He's climbed in Alaska forever. He, you know, him and I, and he's really strong. And, and he sort of has separated himself from that a bit. And he mm-hmm. just really does his own thing. And, and I love climbing with him. And, and he's got a, another good friend, Tim, Tim Dittman, who lives in Boulder, who I know as well. And those guys are really good alpine climbers. They're really good climbers. And, and in some ways, they've kind of separated themselves from it a bit. And so mm-hmm. I think that there, is, there are people who exist out of the norm that are doing that stuff. The thing is, they, they're also the ones that you don't hear as much about. Sure. Okay. And so it's like anything in climbing. There's a lot of people right. doing a lot of stuff. And so, but we are, they are still part of that same group. Everyone still knows them. You know, right. Kyle is climbing with Jared, and, right. and Tim has gone climbing with some of those other guys. And and so, like, but Jared and I just like kind of, you know, we climbed the west face of Saratoria with one backpack, uh-huh. and and just started from all the way down in the circuit of the altars, and just kind of had a great day and went and did it. And I was six months post reconstructive foot surgery. Okay, you know, and Jared, you know, had just spent part of the, the winter guiding. We went down there on a whim and. And we got lucky with the weather, and five days after getting down there, we were standing on top of a mountain that I've only ever dreamed about. Sure. And so sometimes you have these experiences that's like, it's just awesome. Like, you know, there's no there's no real competition or anything there. But on the, I, I almost feel like the Alaska side of things for me is more competitive because there's this, like, push to do for its ascents there. And there's a lot sure. of hyperbole and superlatives, however you say that word. Like, superlatives, yeah. Like people really talking up what they do up there because sure. there's so much... There's, I feel like there's been more press associated with alpine climbing recently. Maybe that's not true. No, that's totally true. And yeah. and so I feel like there's younger people who are getting more known for it. And then so everything you do has to be like right. the best big route in Alaska that season. Well, I think like there's, that. I mean, there's more talk about it because climbing mountains, it's it's something that the public understands. 
And, and right. so I think it, I mean, there's a lot of opportunities now professionally, you know, for better or worse. We can get into that. That's always, I think that's always been a, a raging debate within alpine climbing more than, more than a lot of other disciplines. Yep. But I mean, it, it you know, it, it, you can tell somebody who doesn't know about climbing, about climbing the top of a mountain and they right. get it. Delma, try, I mean, I always joke that, Find your non-climbing relative and try to explain bouldering to them. Yeah, that you you, uh, you climb ten f- what you have to. Yeah, why don't you just? It's only ten feet long. It's so impressive to me though. But, but like, you, I can't yeah. do it. I like, know. But if you if you find a cl- non-climbing relative and talk to them about climbing a mountain, yeah. they're like, oh yeah, of course. Yeah. That sounds amazing. You know. I think, and the other weird thing is, I, I mean, I all these people are wonderful people. Yeah, there's no one I feel that's like. You know, going out of their way to be, you know, a jerk or to or anything sure, to anyone sure. no, no. else. And so, and it's, it's a, some of it's part of the situation that's been created of like, um, the reality of that if you are a sponsored athlete, you know, it, you're part of a marketing department. Mm-hmm. And like that's, so there's an expectation there. Sure. And, and that's totally okay, right? And it's part of it. It's just like, it, I feel like it gets a little out of control sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I'm being a complete hypocrite here. Right. Because I, I, you know, I've delved into that now too. Um, but, yeah, I look at so the other reason that we have in common is my friend Kevin. Okay, and so um, well, yeah. Let, let's let me just preface that. I mean, I had a conversation with uh, Kevin Landolt. I think it was like episode twenty six, and he was the young climber who uh, at the time had leukemia. Has since passed away. Yeah. The first time I met Doug, and I'm doing air quotes around that, is that you contacted me about Kevin. Yeah. And told me that he was a, a good friend of yours, was in a bad place, loved the show, and, and that's how that conversation ensued. Um, and and maybe and obviously yeah. why we're sitting across the table from each other now. So so, but m- mentioning Kevin. something about that interview, you know, he mentioned something in that interview that that really knocked me on my ass and has pushed me to try and come back away from that goal oriented thing. And so the way he talked about the climbing partners that he had mm-hmm. and the categories that he put myself and Chris Sheridan and um, Ryan in mm-hmm. like, and that I was the guy that was like, he was climbing stuff with, he had, he felt like he had no right to be climbing and things. I never thought of it that way. And like, I didn't realize at the time, the sort of influence that I was having about talking about that with him mm-hmm. and taking about those things. And, and so it was really interesting to, to hear that. And then I know Chris Sheridan really well as well. And we've climbed together and, and Chris, in my opinion is, you know, a, a better climber than I am. He just hasn't, doesn't go on as many big trips as I do. Sure. And so it's this, it really sort of like knocked me of like, what did Kevin come away? You know, cause in, as us being friends, we never really talked about it that way. Sure. We talked about stuff we'd like to do, sure. but if he really saw it as like, I was this person that he was sort of getting dragged along with, like, what did he come away from that mentorship process with me? Mm-hmm. And, and I, the only reason I've been successful in my academic career is because of the mentors I've had. And I feel I'm starting to realize that more. And especially after that interview of looking at the influence, the people that have mentored me have had, and understanding that, like, how those people present what you might be interested in can have such a strong effect on how you approach the experience. Sure. And so, you know, that is something that I'm really trying to, to get more actively involved in is is back away from the sort of – I mean, the goals matter. They do. I'm not going to lie. Right. Getting to the top of something matters. Sure. But but learning to embrace the process and love it for that and and – teach people that that is why it's if you get fulfillment out of that then you're going to have a long successful climbing career no matter what your discipline of climbing is but especially for alpine climbing because if you're goal oriented you're going to take risks you shouldn't that are bad ideas um and so for me 
you know, trying to make sure to blend that with all this new media that's coming out and things like that. And again, like Kyle's article does such a good job of that, in my opinion, of talking about that, of like just finding the process is like being irreverent about it and loving it for what it is. And like, um, and I really feel like there's an opportunity there, especially with all this media that's coming around right now to have a real positive influence on, you know, I hate saying next generation, like that doesn't make any sense to me. It's just sort of all climbers, right? right. But people that don't have as much experience alpine climbing, but that interview with Kevin really knocked me on my ass that way. Like I didn't think about our relationship at all like that. I mean, I was mm-hmm. driving up every other weekend to see him at the hospital and, and actually the weekend that he died, I gave a slideshow at Bentgate about alpine climbing. And I, I talked about some of this stuff cause the interview had happened already. And I, I tried to get a hold of him because I was in Golden and he was back in Fort Collins and I couldn't get a hold of him. So I just went home to New Mexico and actually he died the next day. And like, mm-hmm. I will forever regret not driving up there and like not committing to that ideal of like being involved with the people that matter. And like, that's all tied into that mentor- mentorship thing for me is like, these are people you care about. These are people that matter. Like, you know, you want everyone to sort of progress, but you want people to progress in a way that like makes sense for them and makes sense to, to have a long life and be safe and so it's, I don't know, maybe I'm rambling a little bit. I feel like I am, but it's, it, I feel like it's all tied into this increase in alpine climbing media too, that there can be a really responsible sort of push to talk about the, how to do it well and, and have like another, gen, like, you know, Twite's book or things like that for a new generation. Mm-hmm. And I'm not the one to do that, but there are people who, who are really good at this and really good communicators that might be able to do it. So so you, you have a real job. You yeah. don't necessarily live or die by sponsorship. No, um, not at all. Who are your sponsors? Uh, Mammut and Chilo Gear. Okay. Yeah. You know, so what and we, you know, we're getting to the end of this, but you just talked about this idea of mentorship and what it had meant to Kevin, what it means to you now. I mean, and what the media is all mixed in there. Like, yeah. I mean, do you feel like maybe one of the reasons you're even you know, working with these sponsors is to sort of influence that. Yes. That was one of the conscious decisions that I kind of made about it. Um, I had had a bunch of grassroots things that were friends supplying me stuff like everybody. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I decided I wanted to get more involved with going to festivals, with teaching and, and with doing these things. And so, um, the people I work with in my mood are really supportive of that idea. Mm-hmm. And that is a reason I'm extremely happy to be working with them. And, and it's been that way along with Chilo gear. And actually you'll find a common thread with the Alpine climbers that are sort of in, you know, around my age are doing things that the, this company Chilo gear is involved with a lot of them, like Kyle sure. and Hayden and myself and, and Jared and Tim and a lot of these people I've mentioned. And so it's just a backpack company. Right. Um, but a lot of us kind of, that's the way a lot of us met actually was, was through this person, Graham Williams, who owns it. And so there's kind of, I feel like there's a thread being created. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not just from me too, but of like, and I mean, and Steve House and Vince started this Alpine I mean, Mentors Program. I mean, it's business, frankly. It is, and but like <laughs> the Alpine Mentors Program is an awesome right. example of like, I mean, Steve is the person to do that, and he's got a book coming out, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and like, so like that is is amazing, and it's a wonderful. Oh, what a thing. perfect opportunity to come on the Enormacast. It is, Steve yeah. House I unfortunately don't book. know him, so I can't help oh, you there. Right. I know Vince, <laughs> so. Um, so, but I feel like there's a thread that's that is getting started to get wound in, in this idea. And, and I have my own personal goals and, and bents about that. Mm-hmm. And, and again, like I said, a lot of them were influenced by Kevin. Um, just the way that all played out. Okay. And, and how much of an effect that had on me, for better or worse. Regardless of whether we call it mentorship or, or you know, friendly competition or whatever, it's all these strands that go into what we call a climbing community. If you don't nurture the climbing community 
then why are you, that's the greatest thing about climbing. I, I mean, I over and over agree. again on this show, that's what we talk about is it's the greatest thing about climbing. And, yeah. and if you don't, if you don't nurture that, then frankly, we don't, I don't want you around. Like, yeah, no, I, I totally agree you know? And so I, so. I mean, I'm really excited for where things are going yeah. and, and what's coming up. And, and so I, I love it. And I think it's a really good group of people and I'm honored to sort of, you know, even get to sort of play in the same realm as some of these guys that are really killing it. And so it's, it's just fun to sort of see what they're up to and, and be inspired by what they're doing and, and then go have our own experiences, which, you know, we have just as much fun with. And so I feel like there's this really awesome core, but it's not just one age group. And so right. like, I'm really excited about it. I think it's going to be really like the next 10 years is going to be really fun. Cool. So, All right. Well, let's wrap this up. Thanks cool. a lot, Doug, for yeah. coming on the, uh, on the normal cast yeah, and man. it was really enlightening oh cool You've got a lot of great thoughts about alpinism you know like i said it's it's always interesting to me even if you're not going to run into me on this uh smear well i'll see you i'll see you out in aspen or yeah Cloverdale. yeah, yeah right on friends so. cool thanks cool, a lot doug thanks want a beer you gonna call room service we got beer if you hold beer up this rock you're insane i may be insane but i'm not stupid i didn't carry it you did it's in your pack <laughs>